0: Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast and today we have a touch of glamour from Hollywood Los Angeles. We're joined by Esther Weinberg who's a career coach to some of the top women in the movie and TV entertainment business and guess what they have the same challenges and hurdles to get over as everyone else. Esther has some really challenging advice to offer from having a good, hard look at yourself in the mirror and seeing how you present, and we're not talking about clothes here, but rather your presence and how to leave your baggage behind you when you go to a meeting. She also advises women not to retreat from advocating for yourself. We're all very good at advocating for other people, but advocating for yourself is a different matter. And make sure to listen out for her five A's, which she explains later on in the podcast. Esther Weinberg.
1: So I work primarily with, well a lot of times with entertainment companies, but my mission is to transform executives and leaders into being energetic, effective and engaged employees because I've seen so much of, especially with so much change that's going on in the world today that's really impacting our global economy and business that people are disengaged. I think the the numbers from Gallup is that we're over, it's costing companies over 400 billion, I think at this point for disengagement. And so we and I really passionate about working with leaders who want to lead better, who want to steer teams that are committed to a single vision, and who want to really embrace a new, it could be a shifted way of doing things, but just looking at things from a different lens. And they, have I come into the picture where they'll say, we want to look things in a, in a new way, but we may not know how to do that. Or it may just be difficult because, you know, change is tough. The world is going through a lot of massive shifts. And if you foster the right skills and mindset to plan, prepare, and predict for change, the kind of, I always say, like the magic light turns on. You see it in people's eyes when they see possibility, <laughs> even when things are surprising, and their level of resilience just skyrockets. And I've seen it particularly, and also one key point that I'm very passionate about that I'm excited about being here with you and talking about is talking particularly about women. That when women especially get that, that look in their eyes, when that, that aha moment happens, the, the level of possibility just skyrockets and the level of possibility they can see by helping other women
2: also is exhilarating i think they call it the sort of the feminine way of leadership it's a collegiality one rather than hero from the front is that what you would say it is it's like bringing everybody with you on your team rather than being the standard bearer out there at the front saying follow me
1: and i would say that even what they're seeing now there was a there was a study done by a german psychologist and he was even talking about this unconscious form of intelligence that gut feelings are now a tool, that sixth sense, that feminine, I I would call it, maybe you and I would call it a feminine sixth sense, that gut feeling that we may refer to, that women are are, uh, very much accredited to, that I would say that now it's becoming even more validated about utilizing that more in leadership. And so I think women are very well poised in this, day and age, especially with so much change going on and their ability to multitask and manage, even though we've seen the data that multitasking doesn't work, but there's a difference in being able to look at multiple levels of an organization, multiple levels of teams or activities or projects or nuances or landscape of the business and being able to adjust slightly or even more dramatically. And I think that women have a very keen sense and the ability to do that, we just need to give ourselves more of an opportunity to do that.
2: But how do we bring the men and how do we highlight this to men who don't always get it? They go on an unconscious bias training course maybe they said like well why am I here <laughs> like I'm not uncon- I don't have any unconscious bias and we're like well see it from my side and you might think differently how do we bring men along on this journey and how do we break down those you know the old school ties where the boys who, you really have to admire them they look after each other and they bring each other up the ladder but how do we break that culture
1: it's it's so true because it does exist and I'm glad we're talking about it because I don't think it's actually talked about enough we don't identify it enough. And when I coach executive women, we talk a lot about the fact that the boys club exists because it works. Men still have the most decisions. They hire quite a bit. And there's, if you look even across the board at, I always get amazed sometimes when we're looking at teams and they're still headed by men. And I think it's important that we change the paradigm, but not change the paradigm without saying that women need to champion women, because I think we've all heard that song, singing it, we've been talking about it for a long time, but I think it's time for men to more actively sponsor women. If we want more sponsorship, then even companies have to foster it and even mandate it if necessary. I mean, can you imagine a world in which men in corporations are championing women to be in key places, to make key decisions and showcase their abilities, I mean, that would be a complete game changer. And so, and sometimes we would say that, you know, the lack of talent in in senior ranks has to do in some ways with the lack of women self-promoting themselves. And we could talk about that later. And I do think that's true. And I do think that we have to encourage men and even like I said, mandate, it's gotta be important to organizations to say, okay, you have to champion women. Let's actually even monitor that. Let's create, let's collect data around it. And why not? Couldn't you imagine if one company taps, we are the, champ- we are the champion for championing women. And here's the difference that it's made in our profit because women are more in senior leadership ranks. We need more of those stories. Because that will definitely change the game around boys' clubs.
2: And- I think I think that's already <laughs> happening. I was talking to a woman uh, recently from uh, BNY Mellon, and they have monitoring data all over the world, all of the time, and it's not just left there in a shelf. It's built into everything that they do. And, the, you know survey after survey shows that when you do monitor the data and when you do pay attention to diversity and inclusion, the bottom line improves. So the case is made. It's just about bringing it to the attention, as you say, constantly measuring and monitoring and doing something about the figures when you get them.
1: You know, it's, it's, it's something that when I, when I coach executive women, I say to them, look, we have to make sure that we never stay silent And that you do not just say the same things in the same way to people. You know, for example, we say we need more women in executive ranks. People have heard that before. But to our point, if you're showing clear data about the way that it's measured and the difference that it's making in profitability, then things will change. Because, you know, there's never a profit problem that doesn't start with people. And so if we're start, if we're looking more internally, we also have to change the way we're talking about it because people get, you know, people I think are well intended, but people do get closed eared when we use the same language because we all know diversity and inclusion is a good thing, but we don't actually tie it more holistically to the bottom line. And I do think men, it would resonate more with men the more we would do that.
2: I think it's amazing when you hear people talking about voice. I love just focusing on, you know, women's voices. You know, men will talk about, oh, I don't like the sound for voice. You hear them talking about Hillary Clinton and, you know, (laughs) other leaders. I mean, nobody criticizes men's voices the same way as they do women. And I've heard women say, like senior women who've been on the boards of directors of companies saying that they will say something at a meeting it will go around the table, a man will say it, and people go, oh, that's a great idea. And she's going like, I said it first. You know, how do we get our voices heard? What what advice do you give to executives in Hollywood, women, how to get their voices physically heard?
1: Well, you know, this is a very funny thing that you bring up because I had a a client of mine um, at Warner Brothers, and it was fascinating because when I started coaching her, She was seen as aggressive, too aggressive by some. She had to fight for her point of view with salespeople. Most of the sales, senior executives, all men. She's a senior executive. She had to get recognition for her team's work with the marketing staff. She had to be the voice of reasoning, where the television business was going amongst people that weren't really listening. And she said the exact same thing to me. She said, Esther, I can't take it anymore. I'm at the table. I say something, nothing. Someone else says the same exact idea and all of a sudden bingo It's the smartest thing on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) So what we did was a few things. One, we had to take a step back before we started talking about how does, how do we change the paradigm where she gets hurt? We first had to look at her and her approach. What qualities were making her unique? What, what did people value her for? Because sometimes what I find with the women that I coach is that Women start to act like men, <laughs> and woman doesn't mean we have to act like men. It doesn't mean like whoa, men. It means <laughs> you know, oh, women have to be their natural selves. And a lot of times, especially if they don't feel like they're getting their voice heard for whatever reason it is, they have to feel like well, if they're looking around the room and if they don't have other women role models, and the only people in the room are men, they adjust their style to be more masculine which is a terrible thing to do. So once we identified what are the qualities that made her unique, what did people value her for and did she have to have these sharp edges and how could she make a greater impact? What we decided was that sometimes you have to go local before you go global. What I mean by that is that it's sometimes on having, creating those relationships on an individual basis, and having the point that she wanted to make in the meeting, making sure that she made the point on an individual basis before she actually brought it to the meeting to socialize the idea. And by doing that, she actually started to get heard more because people would say in the meeting, Hey, didn't you tell me that the other day? And she started to get acknowledged for it, not even by her trying,
0: <laughs> which
1: was hysterical at first you know, because at first she just said, I have to fight for everything. I have to fight for everything. No one hears me. I can't believe we're not heard. And by nature of her further developing those individual relationships. And also at a certain point, we also said, what battles are important to fight? That you don't need to fight for everything. We really sat down and determined, okay, what are the most critical issues that you're passionate around or things that you need people to hear? that are most critical for the business. And then let's create a strategy around getting it heard rather than being in a meeting and speaking up and then fighting, you know, fighting and being aggressive and then being upset because once she didn't get heard, she just shut down and that was it. She was done. That was her nature. So if she didn't get heard, she'd be frustrated, she'd be upset, expletives I'm sure were going off in her head and then that would be the end of it. And then she'd walk away from the meeting feeling totally defeated. I can't make a difference here. I can't believe I'm an executive. I'm not getting heard. And so I think sometimes we have to look for different ways in than the natural, direct, head-on approach. And sometimes and sometimes you also just need to say, you know, look, you know what? That's a battle I'm not going to win. I can let it go. If he wants that to be his idea, that's fine. Let and it that's go. That. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, not to use the cliche of let it go, but I think it was... The, the strategy was that, how do I uh, have a key must-make point, we called it, that I wanted to make for leaders to really know and hear, that I needed them to move on. And then when she did it more on an individual basis, she learned a lot more about why they wouldn't hear her or what the resistance would be. So then she could actually be more effective in how she was relating with them and also amped up the level of service because she was in a service-based business, the level of service that she could provide her internal clients within the company.
2: And it was a
1: game changer, a game changer.
2: How important is language uh, and imagery? I mean, I think when you're talking to men, I've seen it, if you start talking about ingredients or recipe they tune out or if you start talking about um you know uh, getting your players on the pitch or using military language they get it straight away <laughs> you know should we be thinking about uh, you know p- painting pictures for men in language that men understand or should we just be women and use our recipe analogies? i,
1: I think that i think that it's not um i would put it in this perspective it's not a men or women conversation about this. It's about you being thoughtful, having the right level of emotional intelligence to know who's sitting in front of you and adapting your style and your language to the person that's in front of you. I think that if we become very artful and creative and in tune and present about the person that's in front of us, and being able to want a level of preparedness for that conversation, knowing what will create a greater impact for them based on what their behaviors are or what their values are, what's meaningful to them. And to your point, what language or imagery will bring up the best perspective that they can see. Then I think that that's really where, where you do make the greatest level of impact. I think I've seen women implode, I mean implode, when they do not prepare to have certain conversations where they walk, they do not think about the audience in the room, no matter if it's one person or five or 50, and they don't tailor their message. and think about that before they get in the room. So this way if they're thrown off they can adjust more easily because they've thought about each person and how they need to hear things and the language they need to use or visual imagery that they need to bring. And even in their, if they're doing a PowerPoint presentation, which I can't stand, but if you're doing a PowerPoint presentation using more visual images, if you are in front of a male audience or using more data, I mean, I think that that is smart, no matter what across the board, you have to be able to tailor your message to the audience. I don't care if it's men or women. That's just a smart strategy, no matter where you are in your level of leadership.
2: I think you had a great uh, I was reading one of your blogs recently and you said before engaging in discussion have your five A's ready aware acute acquire accountability and action Marinade. there's another recipe idea marinade <laughs> and set a deadline <laughs> put yourself in people's shoes so I thought they were great bits of advice for both men and women but it comes back to just what you were saying there you know if you're going into a room have a think about what you're going to do to that do that marinating thought before you go into a room but tell us about you know aware accurate acquire accountability and action how important are those aspects maybe go through one or two of them for us
1: you know it's so funny um, have you ever been in an airport where you've seen people with loads of luggage and you're wondering how they're gonna get it on the plane Have you ever seen that when you travel
2: I used to work in check-in
1: yeah. <laughs> it so you know what I'm talking about
2: oh my god yeah
1: <laughs> now what happens when we need to have a conversation with someone that's a little squirrely the way that we approach the conversation is no different than if I was bringing all that baggage on an, on an airplane because what happens is that we walk into a conversation with all of our baggage all of our preconceived notions our judgments our biases know to your to the point we were bringing up earlier our unconscious biases we bring we bring into that room if for example if the person was named someone that they hated in years past or they loved they bring that to you bring it all and so what happens is that I find that what duels in language and in a conversation is my past and your past and an issue and my judgments and my, and my triggers. So what I always ask executives to do is to do a little bit of a process. Now, if you have heaps of time, great. Then, you know, take a, take a journal out and write the answers to those questions. If you have five minutes, then do it on the back of a napkin. But what I would say, that's where the five A's come from. Because they are, they are completely designed as a tool to be able for you to think through what is the real conversation that I need to have that's not limited by my judgments and my biases and, and my past. And look, I can't guarantee that using the five A's and I'll explain each one in a second. I can't, I can't say that those five A's will be at a point where you're going to walk into a conversation and you're not going to be thrown off or rattled. Or, um, or being defensive. But what I can say is that you yourself, because you've done the work, will be far cleaner, I put that in air quotes, than the person in front of you. So if you take the opportunity to say, okay, aware, what am I feeling? Because while feelings are not the truth necessarily, they are a barometer for what's triggering me, what's really bothering me. I mean, I had this conversation last night with a woman She said to me that every time her boss talks to her, she makes her crazy. I mean, absolutely insane, like off the rails. And mind you, the two of them have done things in their relationship. That's not so great. But I said, and it was funny because she was relocating. I said to her, look, what is it? I understand that you're no longer going to be physically based where she is. But what is it that you find that is triggering about her? What do you find, what are you feeling when she calls? What are those reactions that are happening for you? What is it stirring in you? Because if you don't get clear on those feelings, that's really what's underneath the surface of all of it. Not that she calls you and she will say something nasty to you because that might happen, but a lot of times it doesn't. So what are you feeling is really important. One of the other A's is accurate. What's the truth here? Because you know, sometimes you can be really upset I go, Oh, I feel, I feel like, you know, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't understand my point of view. He never listens to me. I'm always discounted. I'm given smaller projects, but what's the truth? Well, maybe the truth is that you're, uh, the person, the man you're talking about doesn't understand what's on your plate. Maybe the person you're talking about, you haven't done a good enough job of communicating what are your priorities or what's come into the picture that have become conflicting priorities. So what is real truth here? Or maybe are you just upset because you thought someone saw you further along in your career as a leader than the way they're really seeing you? And so another A is acquire. What do you... What learning are you meant to acquire from this situation? Maybe in the situation I just said, maybe you're, maybe you're here to learn that you need to stand up more for yourself. Maybe you need to be more sharing. Maybe how you thought you were sharing what your priorities are, you're not. And accountability, what is your part in the situation? How can you take responsibility? I mean, I had one woman I was coaching, a senior executive, she said to me, I want to get promoted to an executive vice president. you know, very, very strong. She said to me, I said, okay. She said, I have no idea why I'm not being promoted. I said, you have nothing. You have no clue. You have no idea. <laughs> and she said, I've been promised this for years. So I said, okay, well, who promised it to you? Well, my boss before the boss I have now, and the boss she have now is a woman. And I said, okay, so did the boss you have now promised it to you? And she said, well, not really. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, said, I said, well, what did she say? She said, well, there may be an opportunity for me down the road, but, there's, but she's reorganizing the division. And so there's, there's so many things that she's taking into effect here. I said, okay, so what's really the truth about your relationship with her? She said, well, she didn't really make a promise. Said, okay, well, what are you meant to learn from here? It's like, well, I probably could have asked more clarifying questions with her up front. Say, okay, in that, in that moment when you'd say, hey, I'm ready for an executive vice president job, what are the exact things she would need to see from my performance in order to say, this is a no brainer? I'm, I, you know, you're 100% done. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to go to human resources. I'll make this happen. And so we talk about what is the accountability, what's her part in the situation? She said, you know, you know, now that we're talking about it, when I look around, I find that I'm not always really clear with what I want. And I oftentimes am really disappointed. So I find that these A's, although that they're deceptive because they're really kind of simple questions, mm-hmm. but they dig in to where you can take responsibility for your actions because the only thing you can control in any situation, even when you know you're being discriminated against, which is the worst situation in the world, is your own thought perspective, your own vantage point and to give yourself a a position of power because a lot of times women, and I find this so strongly, I had another example yesterday I could share with you, it's all over the place, where women marginalize themselves and where they don't give themselves the opportunity to feel powerful. And I think the A's allow you to take a step back and say, okay, what's really true? And how can I take responsibility? So even in the conversation, I could say with her boss, she could say, you know what? Look, my bad on me. I was not, I did not ask you for any specificity about getting promoted. I lo- would you be open to having a conversation now? that if you were going to entertain me getting an executive vice president job, what would you need to see from me? Sure, and, sure. and that changed their, I mean, with my client, that changed the dynamic in their relationship completely.
2: They say, uh, I've talked to a few senior <laughs> women here in Ireland, and they often say that women put themselves into a silo. You know, they do their job really, really well and just hope to be noticed and say, aren't you a great girl and then somebody will just magically promote them. But they don't put themselves out there for promotion, even though they're well-qualified and probably better qualified than others. Um, what, do you, what sort of advice do you give to women? You know, get yourself out of that side, old girl, and go get yourself a better job. You know, this makes me insane.
1: I have to tell you, this: the thing about self-promoting yourself, because I talk to a lot of women about this. And when I talk to women's groups, because I do a lot of speaking engagements, I tell you, when, when we, do a con- we have a conversation, a big conversation, it could be you know, with 50 to hundreds and hundreds of women, and when we talk about self-promoting, there is so many people in that room that won't even say what they're proud of, of having achieved in their job this last week. So, and it, like I said, I think there's lots we could do, because you know, to me, that's a symptom of retreating, and retreat is how you treat yourself. And so women have to stop retreating and go forward to get the prize at the end of the rainbow. Yes. And even, you'll love this, there was an experiment that was done by a professor of management at the University of Texas in the United States. And in a simulation, she had men and women negotiate a starting salary for themselves. Then she had them negotiate on behalf of somebody else. So you're not going to be surprised by this. So when the women negotiated for themselves, they asked, for an average of $7,000 less than men. But when they negotiated on behalf of a friend, they asked for just as much money as men did. So women worry that even in the money side, pushing for more money is gonna damage themselves. So look, the most important thing is to not think of it as, as a retreating, that I have to cower inside myself. I mean, there's, a, there's a young woman I'm mentoring And yesterday, her job has changed dramatically. And she said to me, she's a junior, she's about a manager level. And she said to me, you know, look, I don't know where they're physically going to locate my job anymore. And I said to her, well, what are your non-negotiables? She said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, okay, your non-negotiables mean things that even if they offered you millions of dollars, you'd say, absolutely not. I I can't do that. That's non-negotiable for me. And she said, well, I have an 11 year old daughter and the commute is really hard on me right now, but it's tolerable. And I commute about an hour and a half each way. So an hour and a half going to work, an hour and a half coming from work. She said some hours it could be two hours, one of those distances coming back. So she could be on the road for four hours. And she said that I can't move anywhere that will increase that time of commute. I said, okay, well, that's non-negotiable. I said, have you told anybody that? And she said, no, I haven't told anybody that. And I said, why? And she said, well, I just, I, you know, I'm just, I, I don't, I don't want to be that person. I just think, you know, I want to be a team player. I said, well, you advocating for yourself, how is that not being a team player? She said, well, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you're, you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. and I said to her where can you feel that you're coming from a position of power rather than being at the effect because to her point the company is changing and this I think impacts lots of people and so she doesn't know where she's going to be so she's just waiting for the change to impact her like I'm waiting back and I said to her there's so many things that you can be powerful about and stating what's going to work and don't While you might need to start looking for a job, 100%, but how does that teach you, I said, and your daughter about how you need to show up in the workplace? You know, we don't, I find that for when I coach women, women don't realize that they're walking role models in every single thing they do and say. They have no clue. And I say to them jokingly, I said, you know, people are watching you. (laughs) 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 And, And they you know, they, we laugh about it because I say it, you know, I say it that way. We just laugh about it. But is it true so that when you decide to cower, what you do, especially a woman who is in any form of management, what we do then is someone else sees us cowering and they say, I, okay, that's what I have to do too. So we have to know that we're A, role models to other people and embrace that because we are. And also that it's time to start figuring out for us what is non-negotiable, what is important to us, and to just state it clearly. You know, I remember there was, it was so funny, I was at at a luncheon, I love the story, I was at a luncheon where they were honoring 12 senior executive women. And a woman got up and she said, you know, there was a job I really wanted. I just went into my boss's office. I said, you're giving me that job. (laughs) He said, you're giving me that job. You're giving me that job because I deserve it. I have done this and this and this and this and this and I deserve it. And he said, you're right. And every, I have to tell you, the entire, like the the table I was sitting at, that was all women and several tables around me, which were all women, were gasping. And they were, and people were looking at each other whispering, oh my God, I can't believe she
2: did that. I don't know if
1: I could do that. Oh, wow. Look how bold that is. But I think that
2: has to be our new normal. You had a lovely uh, blog post about executive presence. Is there different <laughs> advice for women or men? Or is it all the same about you know, how do you enter a room? How do you make that you know amazing impression from the get-go, from the very start? <laughs> how do you advise women to wow a room? Is there any technique you could give?
1: Well, a few things. One is I do think that it's really super important that no matter where you're coming from, that you take a moment before you enter in a room. I mean, literally like it could be when you're at the door to just breathe or clear yourself somehow. I mean, even if you have to go into the bathroom, lock the stall and talk to yourself for a few minutes and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm upset, last meeting, okay, I'm not gonna bring this into the meeting I have now. Because what'll happen is that if you're running, as we often are from meeting to meeting, we don't realize back to the baggage point we don't realize that we're bringing the last meeting into the current meeting. And so what do you think that does to your executive presence if you just came from a meeting you're really upset about and you walk into a new meeting and you have to, be, you have to turn on in a different way? All of a sudden, you're that angry, bitter person that just came from another engagement. So I would say it's really, really critical that women do take a moment, whatever that moment looks like, before they're entering a new room. From, so almost like having women to create their own level of transition from one thing to the next. Even if it's you know, taking a moment to breathe, humming a tune, you know, whatever works for you. But you do need that actual stop point. The other thing I would say too is that you do, you know, how you physically carry yourself is really important. Making sure that you're standing tall, making sure that your shoulders are back and down making sure that your physical presence shows that I'm open. That's very, very important too. And that when you sit down, if you're sitting down that you really show people that you're curiously engaged in the conversation. One of the most important things that you can do is be really, is asking great questions. I don't think we, we talk so much about listening, Yet at the same time, we have to be able to ask a great question in order to be able to listen. (laughs) And I do think that asking those great questions shows someone else in our level of executive presence that we are present. We're here. We're hearing what they're saying. We want to delve more into what they're talking about. Because one of the greatest gifts that we can give someone is that they feel gotten. And what I mean by that is that they feel heard. In a way that they hadn't felt heard before, that you really get, that they feel that you get, that you really not just understand, but that you can truly stand in their shoes and really get what their experience is. You don't have to agree with them, you don't even have to like it, but you do have to really get where the other person is.
2: Great bit of advice. Really, really good bit of advice, I see.
1: That's a critical part of executive presence because, of course, there's eye contact and all of that the other person doesn't feel like they're gotten, then I think that I don't care how stand, how tall you stand,
2: it won't matter. Uh, to tell you, I was at a, a meeting about oh, gender and something else in Brussels and two ladies, and they were ladies, if you know what I mean, um, got up and said, Why do you, when you go into a room, how do you... You know, when you're working a room in a networking event, how do you present your business card? And this woman mimicked the way women typically do it. She goes, oh, where did I put it? And she taps her
0: side and she goes rooting her
2: handbag and she's bending over, arse in the air, underneath the table. Where did I come out? She said, and you see a guy and he has one pocket on the right for taking them in, one pocket on the left for giving them out. and Just in, out. Two seconds with every or a couple of minutes with everybody and they move on. So <laughs> men and women just act so differently as regards business cards. If I took nothing else away from that meeting, I took that away. It was just super advice. Because you see it happening all the time and women just holding back, will I, won't I? What will they think of me if I give my business card? Am I being too showy? Does this happen in the U.S. or is <laughs> is Hollywood a different ball game? I'm sure it must be a different ball game altogether. You
1: know, it's uh know I have to tell you, I was laughing so hard because it's so
2: true. Where did I put
1: that? Or or you know oh I left it
2: at home. Or it's <laughs> underneath all the mess in your purse, you know. Or you know
1: oh I don't have one yet. You know I just I I'm always flabbergasted by that thought because. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's so important to be intentional. I don't think it, we can't overstate it enough. When in everything you do that you are intentional, because when you walk into, a room, if you don't have a business card, there's a way to handle that. You could say, you know what? I'm so sorry. I do not have mine, but let me take yours. Here's what I'm going to do. You will receive an email from me tomorrow. Because it's not—it's about the follow-up, and it's about how you're communicating. You'll receive an email from me tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward to connecting. That shows doesn't show like, oh, I'm a I'm a I'm a space cadet. I left my left my business cards at home, or I, I you know I don't know what to do now. But it does show the other person that you're engaged with them, and that you're intentional. That that has a great deal to do with presence, because. You know, to the point we were talking about when we talked before about language and visual imagery, I mean, your clarity of message, your conciseness, and even your vocal emphasis with confidence and conviction shows the other person that they matter. And, there's, and that will also demonstrate to them, wow, that's impressive. Their ability, your level of emotional awareness is really high. I mean, it'll, it'll also help someone else feel that they're safe. Of course, you have to follow through then. <laughs> but it, it, does, it does speak to who you are and who you're being in the world that will influence people in how they treat you
2: moving forward. Is it fun working with people in the entertainment industry? Or are they very different, being very creative? Or is business the same the world over? In researching my book,
1: Leadership Hollywood Style, I was interviewing a a woman named Vivi Ziegler. You would love this woman. She's the president of digital brand and audience development for a company called Endemol Shine North America. She's such a powerhouse and she's such a powerful role model because she's passionate about developing people. She knows that growing the brand starts with people. She practices what she preaches. She is her word. She leads change with such a transparent approach. And what she doesn't know, she's going to say she doesn't know. What she shares, and I think that when we think about Hollywood, we think about the actors and the glitz and glamour. Like what we're doing in our book, leadership Hollywood style is showing that it's the people in the unsexy jobs, people like Vivi Ziegler, are the people are the ones that are creating a six hundred million dollar business that Hollywood is. And they're the people that are the ones that behind the scenes that are really creating the shine to the people that are in front of the camera. So I think that there's, you know, there's a different, there's a reason why Hollywood is called the, um, you know, well, it's the place where you can make all the dreams come true. Because I do think that there's a level of, you know, while of course it's cutthroat and it's cutthroat in every business, but there's a level of possibility that can come through. But I think that it does start, with the people that are the behind the scenes in the really unsexy jobs. I mean, look, finance, accounting, human resources, marketing, sales. I mean, sometimes these are very unsexy jobs, but they're the ones that bring the glamour to Hollywood. And I think that people don't often think about that because they're always thinking about, you know, the sexy stars <laughs> that sure. are coming up or the YouTube stars that are now coming in front of the screen, in front of like a a traditional brand like a television or a movie audience. But it's really those folks behind the scenes
2: that are the ones
1: that allow Hollywood to make the money and to have the level of brand recognition
2: that it's had. If you had only three pieces of advice to give to women with ambition to lead, what would they be?
1: I would say number one is stop retreating. And how it's how you treat yourself. Stop retreating and move forward and and stop retreating from advocating for yourself. The second thing I would say is stop feeling that you have to change your gender in order to be able to be successful. Stop feeling like you have to act like a man or bring more male energy into your being in order for you to be successful. It doesn't mean that. Women need to feel powerful in who they are and how to advance themselves. When we lose who we are, then we really lose. And the third thing is, is your own perceptions. That oftentimes what's in between our ears, our head, it are the things that get in our way from leaving. Make sure that you look at, is your style best suited for the company you're working for? How am I... How am I engaging with people in the room? How am, I, am I looking to who's my audience that's right in front of me? Stop being a level of judgment zone for yourself and instead say, I have a right to be in this room. I've earned the right to be in this room. Now, how can I be in this room in the best way possible?
0: So there you go. Brilliant advice from a woman who knows a thing or two, Esther Weinberg. And remember, stop retreating from advocating for yourself, Stop feeling that you have to change your gender in order to become successful. You don't need to bring more male energy into your being to be successful. When we lose who we are, then we really lose. Ask yourself, how am I engaging with the people in the room? Stop being a level of judgment zone for yourself and instead say, I have a right to be in the room and how can I be in the room in the best possible way? That's all from the Women in Leadership podcast for now. If you want to get in touch, the email address is info at womeninleadership.ie. Until the next time, goodbye and take care.